Just as contractors follow the architect's blueprints during our reconstruction, using the required materials is essential to doing the job right. It only makes sense then that the church also follows the blueprints that God has laid out for building exactly what he wants. If our contractors try to wing it, we'll end up with shoddy results. At best, it will be something we did not want. And at at worst, it will be incredibly expensive and perhaps even dangerous and hazardous. Someone might get hurt. Now, a church, a church is a spiritually heavy thing to build, designed for heavy relational use, designed for heavy spiritual work. It requires the strongest, purest materials, and those materials must be placed in the exact load-bearing positions specified by the biblical blueprint so that the structure is sound. Otherwise, a beautiful facade will crumble, crumble and fall. A church built by man's design is a hollow shell, something God doesn't want, something ill-conceived. At, at best, it will stand for a few years and fade away. At worst, people might get hurt. But God's design, a church that magnifies God's glory and faithfully communicates his gospel, will stand the test of time. Good morning and welcome to Building Antioch, our six-week series of sermons, classes, and small groups, and daily devotionals designed to lay out and build a transformational church according to God's blueprint. We're going to do this by studying the city church in ancient Antioch, where spiritual power, innovations to advance the gospel, generous giving, remarkable teaching, and mission sending were all used by God to transform a people, the surrounding community, and even the known world. Now, in our sermons this season, the time that I have with you, I aim to show how these same design elements of a gospel-driven church, first seen in the first century church, are the same design elements operating here at Nielsville in the 21st century. Here at Nielsville, we are aiming to build by God's design, and that will be evident as we lift up the uh, 2009 mission study initiatives that have been operative since those came out of the great work that our elders and the whole congregation participated in during the interim period. So I hope to, to lift that up to show us, you see, this is what the Bible says, this is what's happening here, and here are the results. And we're seeing results. We're in a season of great promise here at Nielsville. We're growing for the first time in a decade. Big changes are happening. And so right in the middle of this season of construction, when we are literally stripped to our foundation, and I say literally, if you look out those windows and there's plastic so that you won't be alarmed, we are stripped to our foundation. I want us to take a close look again at the architect's plans. 
There's an old uh, adage among carpenters, measure twice, cut once. Have you heard that? That's what we need to do. We, meet, we need to measure again. We need to take a close look so that we can be accurate and not wasteful. Ancient Antioch, modern-day Atakia, Turkey, was a place where followers of Jesus were first called Christians. It was a vibrant island city of about 500,000 people. It was a transportation hub. It was self-governed, which was very unique at that time. And it was a multicultural stew pot. The first mention of it is in Luke's account of the early church found here in Acts chapter 11. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there because we're going to refer to it. But this account in Acts chapter 11 points us back to Acts chapter 8. So let's go back there for just a moment first. Acts chapter 8 uh, sets up what's going to happen in chapter 11 when we see here the persecution that followed the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. And then after he was martyred, uh, the higher-ups, those in power, decided to once and for all put away these, this new sect, this unnamed followers of the way, these followers of this Yeshua. And it says in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the believers scattered. But then it says they scattered and they spread the gospel. They lost their homes, their property, their standing in society, but they did not lose their newfound faith. Now, go back to Acts 11. At this time, evangelism was only of the Jews or of God-fearing people, folks exposed to monotheistic Judaism. And so we read in verse 19, and merely read, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word, that is the gospel, to no one except Jews. Because they figured, well, who else is going to listen? Right? But now look at the next verse. Verse 20, it says, Greek-speaking believers from the nearby island of Cyprus and the North African region of Cyrene, they were the ones who said, well, why not share the good news with everybody? Why not share the good news with our Gentile neighbors? Perhaps they had been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the apostles first proclaimed the risen Lord in their native tongue. And at any rate, they settled here in Antioch and they began to witness to the Gentiles the remarkable reality that the God saves sinners through the perfect life, substitutionary death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus. It was an experiment. People would have said, what, what are you doing? We, we, don't, we don't talk to those people. They have multiple gods, gods of the Greeks and gods of the Romans. We don't talk to those kinds of people. It was an experiment. And what was the result? The result was instant success. Look at verse 21. It says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and the great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
when a man or a woman or a student or even a child communicates the gospel, teaches others the gospel, there's another partner in the effort. It says the hand of the Lord was with them. The the hand of the Lord is in the proclamation of the gospel to the lost, to those seeking. To teach the gospel is, is every Christian's duty and privilege, but the power, the power comes by the Holy Spirit. Now look again closely at the text. It, it's implied, and I, and I picked this up actually just yesterday when I looked again at the text, it's implied that, that not everyone who believed turned to the Lord, though a, a great number of them did. Look at the verse closely. It says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It's too bad it can't say, all who believed turned to the Lord. John records in his account of the gospel in in chapter 12, the, the disciple, the apostle closest to Jesus. He writes, many believed in Jesus, and he's referring to those higher-ups, the leaders, the Pharisees and scribes. It says, many believed in Jesus, but for fear, they didn't confess him Lord. Chapter 12, verse 42, 43. But for fear, they didn't confess him Lord. For they loved the glory of man more than the glory that comes from God. So there must be some difference between believing and turning to the Lord. Do you think that some of the believers at Antioch failed to turn to the Lord for the same reasons these that John refers to didn't turn their lives over to the Lord? Think about the pressure that they were experiencing. Think about the persecution that they saw. Think about what they were going to be having to let go of and give up. They turned their lives over to the Lord. Believers who turn to the Lord, who convert, who turn 180 degrees to the Lord, are those that obey the gospel. A great number believed. They got the trucker hat, but not all turned their lives over to the Savior. Do you see the difference? Do you see the foundational difference between having a great number who sign up and those who turn everything over? But so many did convert and were transformed, that word got back to headquarters in Jerusalem, and it says that back in Jerusalem, Barnabas was sent to check things out. See, Barnabas was from Cyprus. He knew the lingo, he knew the layout, he knew Antioch, so he was the perfect person, he was an encourager. They sent Barnabas in the same way that Peter and John were sent to Samaria to see what Philip was doing. That's another account, we won't get sidetracked, but. In headquarters in Jerusalem, they want to know what's going on. And so they send Barnabas, and look at verse 23. He comes to Antioch. He came and what? And he saw 
the grace of God. And he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast. Barnabas loved what he saw. He walked into the small community, and he saw the grace of God in action. Individuals transformed. A church of, of Jews and Gentiles forming together a faith community right in the heart of a multicultural, religiously pluralistic city. Today, we are in the middle of reconstruction, stripped to the foundations, and Neil still needs to measure twice. We have to take a, a close look at the architect's plans you see, these plans that I hold in my hand were, were great plans. But they're from 1986. These were, were based upon and bathed in prayer. But they were for another time. So we need to ask again, afresh, today, what are we building here to transform the city for Christ? And as I conclude, and this is just an introduction to the series, and stick around because Andy's going to answer all of your questions. He's got all the insights you possibly uh, may, might be curious about. I want us to, to picture in your mind what Barnabas saw. Barnabas went on his own. Peter and John went to Samaria, but Barnabas went on his own. Imagine you're his partner, and you walk in. What did Barnabas see? He saw fully converted, obeying people, filled with the Holy Spirit, intent on sharing Jesus who had saved them. Downplaying their critics, they stayed in the city for good. But the name Christian was meant as a put-down, and they turned it into a moniker of honor. And being a people together, a people coming together as a family, a very diverse family, Christian in more than name only, the Holy Spirit did amazing things. The Holy Spirit's work on us is well underway. He's been doing a, a new thing, but it's an old thing that's been going on here at Mealsville and in this community for decades upon decades. But the Spirit has a new thing to add. Building a church that is always going to be God-centered and gospel-driven, built on God's word and prayer, a community of love built for strong relationships, where there's a hunger for personal growth, new expressions of worship, people helping people ministry, a place where local mission seeks to help neighbors and network with other churches in a sprawling city that has grown, listen, has grown 56% in the past decade. 56% in the past decade, Germantown has grown. It's one of the most diverse communities in the nation, where global mission supports the global church. Now we have our work cut out for us. When we strip things away, we can see stress fractures that need to be mended before we build. But we are in this city for good because that is God's design. Because God loves the city. 
Barnabas saw the grace of God in Antioch, and knowing there were real threats to their construction, Luke records that he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. And so I want to do the same thing in conclusion, to exhort us, Nielsville, to remain faithful to the Lord, steadfast in person, to build the church God has designed. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I pray that we would be following your plan. Lord, that we'd be willing to ask questions, why not? Lord, that we would use pure and good materials that have, that have both stood the test of time, but that are also renewed for what you're doing here in your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that our people would be truly converted. More than just a name only, Lord, we could draw a crowd, but we want to go deeper than that. We want to be a spiritual family, aligned together, pointed in the direction that you would have for us. Lord, we want to see your grace in action here at Neilstone. We know that you love the city. We know, Lord, that you love this church. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and move powerfully in our lives. It's the power of the cross. The cross is why we're here. The cross that, that Jesus hung on at great sacrifice, the greatest of all sacrifices for us, for love's sake. Lord God, it's the power of the cross, not changing our message or changing our ways or trying to be hip and cool. It's about standing shoulder to shoulder with our eyes fixed on you. Oh God, do a great work in and through this church. Continue those efforts, Lord, that we can build on the great tradition and great heritage and great spiritual fruit that Nielsville has produced by the working of your Holy Spirit all these many years until you're coming again. And all our church family said together, Amen. Let's stand and sing about the power of the cross.
baptism that, that we've experienced, the Holy Spirit that binds our hearts together in union with Christ, in fellowship with one another. And so Lord, in unison, with, with, with one voice lifting up to you in this quiet time of prayer, Lord, we, we lift up to you prayers of concern and intercession for the world around us. Uh, we pray first and foremost for the unrest in, in the Middle East and, and throughout the world. Lord, cause this past week for great concern. Especially, Lord, pray for those in harm's way that serve our nation as ambassadors to, to other nations. We pray, Lord, for their protection. We pray, Lord, for our troops in harm's way and our sailors around the world. Lord, for their uh, steadfast protection. We pray, God, for calm. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people of peace and tolerance. And Lord, that, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, as we struggle uh, in, on our own shores in this uh, very difficult season and time of, of election, national election, Lord, we pray for your will to be done. We pray, Lord, that your people, the church, would, would stand for the meaning of the gospel. We pray, Lord, for our neighbors. We pray, Lord, for our leaders and ask you to bless them with wisdom and guidance. And Lord God, we pray for those that are unemployed or, or underemployed. We pray, Lord, that, that they would find work soon. Lord, that, that their spirits would be lifted and that there would be opportunity that would come their way quickly to the millions of Americans that are without, uh, without work today. And Lord, we pray for those concerns that are also close to home. We pray, Lord, for Barbara Clark, for healing and comfort for Korean, Lord, recovery from surgery and Mary receiving treatment of, for throat cancer. Lord, I pray also for my own uh, Aunt Carol who has been diagnosed with lung cancer and 
has an oncologist appointment tomorrow and how close to home it, it hits for all of us. We pray, Lord, for uh, spiritual and physical healing for Ryan Cooliard. We pray, Lord, for godly wisdom for Albert Ross Jr. We pray, Lord, for Margaret suffering from dementia. We pray, Lord, for uh, the Smith family, the loss of their father and father-in-law and grandfather. We ask you, Lord, for your comfort and mercies to be with them. And Lord, we pray for Ryan Canoza as he carries out his duties in Afghanistan. Bless and protect him, Lord, and all those that serve. And now, Lord, we pray as one people the words you taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, our ushers will receive the morning tithes and offerings. You'll notice in the bulletin that we're including, uh, at this time to the end of the year, uh, the most recent uh, budget number, so you can know exactly uh, how the church is doing. I pray that God blesses you richly as you uh, support the ministries of Nielsville. Thank you. Lord, you are the giver of all good gifts, and you have entrusted us with so much. You have given us abilities and time and resources, 
And we pray that you would make us good stewards of these gifts, that we would use them not for our own comfort, but for the world. And as we, have offer, as we offer these gifts to you this morning, we pray that you would use them far beyond what we could imagine, that as we entrust our treasure to you, we also entrust our time and our abilities. And we pray that you would use us and guide us in their use so that the world might know of your great love and your liberating gospel. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Sunday school teachers as they start a new year leading uh, our children and our youth in, in Sunday school. Uh, remember, there's still room and time to sign up for small groups if you'd like to participate in a small group during an, uh, building Antioch or pick up the booklet with a daily five-day uh, devotional. All that information is available in the narthex. I'll receive the morning charge of benediction. We are in the city for good because God loves the city. The last word on cities in the Bible, at the culmination of all time when the, uh, the earth will pass away and the new heavens and the new earth, new earth comes, it says uh, it will come down from heaven to the new earth, and what will happen? 
Uh, the lands won't turn into beautiful pastoral lands. It won't roll back the clock. It says the city of God will come. God's designing for us to be a church in the city. And so may we be that church that God has in store for us. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you always. Amen. Thank you.